title of today's message is, How Did It Happen? How Did Creation Happen? Where did this world come from? Where did this universe come from? And there's basically two views, and I feel like I've been teaching to different groups for the last three weeks because of, like, we had a snow out, and then we had a COVID out, and now we're here today. So um, it's good to see many faces here, and it's good to see your faces online. So I'm going to kind of summarize a little bit from the past and not repeat too much that Dr. Sigler hit last week, but I'll hit some of the same things. But I'm trying to tie this together and then move into the text a little further. Uh, but there's basically two main thoughts. Uh, the thought that's given from Genesis 1 in terms of where did creation or how did creation happen. And then there's the thought that really has only come about since about 1920 um, <clears throat> in terms of I'm not talking about the creation of man so much to this week, but more the creation of the universe, where <laughs> this guy was looking at a telescope, and that was called Hubble, and he noticed that the, the universe is still expanding and pushing out. And so they made conclusions based off that, that because it's still spreading out, that it had an origin in the Big Bang. So if you would like go online or look up where did the universe come, came from, the majority answer that comes up in your first several lines of your Google, first 10, 20, 50, is usually this, Big Bang Theory. It doesn't say Genesis 1 for whatever reason. So one, the one uh, plausible idea or theory that comes up on Google is the Big Bang Theory. And it's basically summarized in this. Um, this ruin is really fresh. It's a fresh definition from space.com, literally from January 10th, 2022. I mean, what, what is today's date? The 30th? It was only 20, 20 days ago. So this is a fresh article from Elizabeth Howe. And she basically says, this is our best guess. It's our best guess. She's not even saying it's fact, but it's interesting that this theory is in all our textbooks in junior high, in elementary, high school, and in your big universities and around. And the Big, Berry, big, theory, big Bang Theory is basically this. It's the, le <coughs> the Big Bang Theory is the leading explanation for how the universe began. Simply put, it says that the universe, as we know it, started with an infinitely hot and dense single point that inflated and stretched okay <clears throat> i want you to know if the people that write this stuff in in nasa or space or your scholarly textbook it's always a guess this is our best explanation this is a theory this is an idea and <clears throat> they don't know for sure if there was this infinitely hot no one was there with the thermometer that probed that point and juncture at the very beginning to know how hot it was and they also talk about the single point, the single atom that blew up and expanded. But again, they don't know for sure. They just say it, and they say it in the universities, and they say it as if it's fact. All right? It's a theory, it's a theory, it's a theory, it's an idea, it's an idea. They surmise these ideas. And they also surmise things like it, it came at imaginable speeds and, and an immeasurable rate. And they seem to agree that it happened 13.8 billion years ago. I don't know how you know the difference between 13.8 billion, 13 .8 billion years versus 20 or 50 billions or even trillions of years. How, how, like, how do you differentiate 
the years. And they, they have these calculators. Again, they're not sure. These are the best ideas. And so that's one view that is out there. And the scary thing is pretty much it's, a, it's taught as fact in your universities. How many of you are, are you familiar with this theory because you went to public school or even private school or your current university? You were familiar with this, right? Or if you happen to go to a museum, you know, <coughs> in, in a major city, they'll, have, they'll display this theory. And I think um, a couple of things I want to share about this. It, 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 it is a theory. It is not, it's not fact uh, because people who have these degrees that say "der" on it, doctor, doesn't mean that they speak with full authority and full truth, right? They, they basically are, are parrots that parrot one lie to the next generation of lies, to the next generation of lies, to the next generation uh, of lies. And they're just saying the same thing from one book to the next book, and they're just quoting each other. Um, I think the other thing I find interesting is why do Christian universities um, hold to some form of Big Bang Theory or evolution? And a couple reasons. I think because they went to the schools that taught this form of naturalism or humanism, and that's all they know. They haven't been able to reconcile it with Scripture. I also think maybe Christian universities hold to this is because they're not that Christian, <laughs> and they're not biblical, and they have a low view of God, and they have a low view of Scripture. And so, <clears throat> so a couple of weeks ago when I first initiated this series, we didn't jump into Genesis. We jumped in to this basic pre proposition or assumption that there's only one true authority, and the one true authority comes from God himself, from the Scripture himself. And, <clears throat> and the only way you're going to arrive there is from a high view of Scripture and a high view of God. If you have a high view of man and a high view of this fallen world, of course you're going to bind to the things of this world. And you'll think that man has a higher place and a higher authority than God himself. And in that attempt, man is trying to be God and define um, how this world works. But the truth of the matter is that God made this world and God gave, has given us this scripture and he explains how it all happened. And so today, I understand for many of us, we've heard hundreds, if not maybe thousands of hours of what the world has communicated. I mean, it's, it's in our movies, it's in our TV, it's everywhere. And the church, so in one sense, the world is shooting like this massive like fire hose of lies to us. And we have a church that maybe meets a couple hours. And if you have a, maybe godly parents that faithfully teach God's word, we have like this squirt gun combating what the, 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 the immensity of lies of the water fountain or the, what's that called? The fire hose of, of lies versus this water squirt gun of truth. But um, <clears throat> that's just kind of what's out here. And that's what's hitting our minds, our thoughts. Uh, this morning, I just wanted to go right back to some very basic I, truths from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. And we're going to ask two basic questions from Genesis 1, 1. We're going to ask how creation happened. And then we're going to look at the condition of the earth from the very get-go in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And as we do this, I want you to ask the question, how did Moses understand this? Moses is the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. God, we believe God communicated 
the word from God himself to Moses, help, Moses himself and, and pinned it down. And this is the same thing that Professor Dr. Sigler laid out to us, is how would this have been understood, Genesis, as <clears throat> from Moses' perspective and to Moses' audience, the Israelites? So <clears throat> imagine this, when Moses heard these words that we're going to read very soon, um, how would Moses understand this passage? Okay, how would the Israelites, as they were trained in the law and the Torah, were they familiar with this Big Bang? Was it in their schools and education system? 5,000 years ago? four or five. They had no idea. In the next, after Moses' generation, 500 years after that, between that gap, did they know about this Big Bang theory? No. Another 500 years. It hasn't came up. No. Another 500 years. No. Another 500. 2,000 years. First 2,000 years of humanity. No idea of what the Big Bang theory was. Okay, another thousand years. Nope, they had no idea. Another thousand years. No, because it hasn't come up till when? Within the last century. It's new. There's some people had some ideas about the stars, maybe a little bit, maybe in the 17th, 18th century. But this idea of Big Bang Theory is really new. We're talking 1920, like when my grandparents were born. Right? My parents were born in the 40s. My grandparents were born in the you know, 19-teens, 1920s. So it's not even that long ago, unless you just think, oh, this pastor is so old, out of date, he's, te he's teaching, teaching this rubbish. No, um, we want you to, I want you to understand, this is very recent, and really all we need to do is begin with the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. So if you have your Bibles, open them, or turn them on, or however you engage with God's scripture. But this is familiar, but I want you to just to see it with your eyes. God really just answers this very basic question that every society, every culture has begged to want to understand over the generations. And it's this basic question, how did creation happen? And from this question, we're going to look at four of the questions to break down Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, Moses states or declares, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So the first, as we use proper hermeneutics, we're going to ask questions about this text. So the first question I'm thinking, okay, um, when did creation happen? Pretty basic. First three words, in the beginning. Okay, this is not the beginning of God, but rather the beginning of the universe. This phrase, in the beginning, marks off the beginning of the universe, the beginning, beginning of time and space. It marks off the beginning, the, the, the time prior, just before when God created the heavens and the earth. Um, if you remember, two weeks ago, I talked about the fact that God is eternal God. He has always existed. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There's no beginning, no end to him. So God has existed always, and he picked a point in time in eternity to initiate creation. And he's saying, this is when it was, in the beginning, right here. And so this is Moses just explaining to Israel the identity and purpose of, for their people on the plains of Moab. And God is basically simply communicating from God to Moses on what the origins are. Where do they, came, where do they come from? So that they will understand who they are in, escape of, in the landscape of eternity and humanity. Okay, <clears throat> and so the second question as I'm walking through doing 
basic hermeneutics, how we approach God's word, is after we ask the question, (coughs) when did creation take place, is question number two. Who created the creation? Who created the creation? Word number four in verse one. The answer to this is who created creation is what? Talk to me. God is not Darwin. It's not Mr. Hubble. It is not NASA. It's not space.com. It is God himself. God is the creator. We understand him in this particular word here, God, to be the El Holim. That's deity in the masculine yet singular form. We also understand the totality of Scripture that God is one God expressed in three persons. That's known as the, talk to me, the Trinity, also known as the triune God. These are just foundational. All three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, play a vital role in creating the world. Okay, I want you to see that the Bible declares a God that is monotheistic. We're not talking about many gods or many spirits or some kind of force or some, a whole bunch of random created beings, but the Bible declares that God created the creation. And so I think sometimes we struggle with a God that's been reduced in our mind, a God that's weak, a God that's puny, a God that's maybe created in our own mind and thinking. And so some of our thinking about God is defective and bad, and we just need to flush those away and delete them and be refreshed constantly by the truth of Scripture and who God is and what He's like. And I understand this is hard for some of us given our our backgrounds. Maybe, Maybe some of us have grown up in a background where we believe in many types of gods, the moon god, the sun god, different animal type of gods. And you have that kind of framework in your mind. And so, um, and some of us have grown up in the church. And some of us have viewed God a little bit like the Barney doll. You know, I love you, you love me, you know, let's be a happy family. Some of that's true, right? We want to love, that's good. Um, but we're, we're, we're not talking about a God that just is love but not truth. And not just a dinosaur, because God isn't a dinosaur, Right? Um, God is defined in, in Scripture. And really, I would commend this book over and over. J.I. Packer writes a pretty thick book. I read this as a one-year-old Christian. It blew my mind. I had no idea that this is what God was like. Um, this is thick, heavy, but readable. Um, and it's been read by many. Um, I'm going to take some highlights and just good, quickly give you a refresher of who and what God is like. He has many attributes. Um, but I'm going to give you seven of them just to remind us what our God is like. The first one is that our God is infinite. It, our God is infinite. He's self-existing without origin. Okay, in Psalm 147, verse 5, God is our Lord, abundant in power. When it says abundant power, it's talking about a, a limitless power. His understanding is beyond measure. We think of a lot of people who are smart, you know, they're doing, doing away with the SATs, and we used to call certain people with 1600 smart. In comparison to God, there's no comparison. But I want you to know that God is infinite. He, he's self-existent and has always existed forever. Um, A.W. Tozer says this about God. 
to admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside all our categories, who will not be dis- dismissed by, by a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, our human reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries. This, <coughs> this requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we, so we save face by thinking God down, reducing God to our level, or at least down to where we can manage Him. This is what we tend to do, and we reduce God to be less than what He really is. But the truth is, He's so much more. And number, <laughs> that says a little bit more about who God is. Number two, we'll keep building on this idea of what our God is like. Our God is immutable. He never changes. He never changes. Okay? Um, everything in our world changes constantly. The weather changes. Um, your mood changes. Your attitude changes. People just think, you know, I don't want to deal with God these days. And they're like, I just want to deconstruct my faith. And so I'm going to change my faith. But for God himself, he does not change. He never changes. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says this, I the Lord do not change. He doesn't change. This should be very, very encouraging to us. Our God is eternal and he doesn't change. Um, he doesn't get better and he doesn't get worse. Um, he's, he's not like our evolutionary process that's mutating supposedly better, which is not true at all. Um, <coughs> God is unchanging. And that's great to know. It's a joy for believers to know this because when God says what he says and makes promises throughout scriptures, we can count on these scriptures. When he says, I'm going to never forsake you, he'll never forsake us. When he says, I will return, guess what? He could carry that promise through that I will return one day. And he's done it once in his first coming when he was born, and he will do it a second coming when he comes and takes us home, and he'll judge others. So that's number two. God is immutable. He never changes. Number three, God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. This is hard for us to wrap our mind around because as humans, we're just needy. We need food. We need air. We need a lot of things. We need new clothes. Um, we need a new haircut, whatever. Uh, for God himself, um, he has no needs. In John 5, verse 6, 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son, Jesus Christ, to have life in himself too. So in other words, God himself is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He's not dependent on anything. Um, <clears throat> he's literally self-sufficient or self-dependent. So just put our minds around that. It's very difficult because we're not self-sufficient. We need others. We need other things to breathe, live, and survive. For God is self-sufficient. Number two, uh, or number four, um, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Um, <clears throat> there's no limit to his power. Um, <clears throat> the word omnipotent, literally, omni means all. Potent means all, or refers to powerful. And so there's nothing too difficult for our God. Um, nothing's impossible for our God. Um, and so we see in Job chapter 11, verse 7 through 11, um, can, you fathom the myths, can you fathom the mysteries of God? There's so many things that are beyond our own thinking, our own mind, that things that God does. 
Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? <laughs> That's just a, blind, a mind-blowing statement. Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? We're just trying to, scientists today are just trying to scratch the surface <laughs> in terms of what they see in a little tub telescope. The, the, the Almighty expanse that God created when he made the heavens. They are higher than the heavens above. What can, you, <clears throat> what can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the seas. If he comes along and confines, and confines you in a prison <clears throat> and convenes a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers, and when he sees evil, does he not take note? I want you to know that God's power is so amazing. I don't know, as kids, if you've ever played with little firecrackers that are like an inch long, and just say, you know, let's play with these. Let's, you know, uh, light it and put it under a can, like a soda can, and it pops up, boop. You know, it's like playing. So what firecrackers are to us, think of atomic bombs in relationship to God himself. This is small and puny um, in relationship to God himself in relationship to his power. And that's not even a good comparison. Um, <clears throat> but I put it out there just to get, you get an idea of God's power. Um, number five, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows all things. He doesn't need to learn. <laughs> He doesn't need to go to university to know more. He already knows all things. Um, in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 11 through 10, um, Isaiah says this, former, <clears throat> Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the beginning from the end from ancient times, and what is still to come. Literally, Isaiah explains God's mental capacity. He knows everything from the end, the very, very, very beginning, the ancient time, all throughout history, and God knows everything that will come. Some of you guys are just dying to know what school you'll go to, <laughs> who you will marry, um, who the next president will be, when the next virus will come. But I want you to know, God knows about all these things. He just does. He knows what president will be the president in 100 years from now. He'll know the name, he already knows the name of all your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Because what? He is God. Um, and that's what our God is like. And he says this, I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Um, so that's just a little bit about how much God knows. Tozer says a little bit more. Um, I won't read that quote, but you can see it there. Number six, God is omnipresent. And that means he's everywhere at all times. He doesn't need to do anything to get to somewhere. He's already there. Um, Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah says this about God. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in a secret place so 
I cannot see him, declares the Lord. This is funny because I thought Adam tried to hide from God after he sinned. He tried to use some fig leaves, pretending that God could not see him somehow in the Garden of Eden. Um, sometimes we think God cannot see us. We can hide from him in our sin. Um, but he sees, and he knows, and he's there. Um, but he also, may you also sense comfort when you're anxious and when you're worried. God is there with you at all times, no matter how dire and how difficult the circumstance may be. In the last part here, do I not fill the earth and heaven? Literally, God is saying, do I not fill the earth? Literally, God is saying, I'm everywhere on earth and in heaven. Everywhere. To the outer limits. Beyond infinity and beyond. Beyond where Star Trek thinks it has gone. It, God is already there because he's all present. And then lastly, God is wise. He is full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of his riches, both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. My friends, God's wisdom is perfect. He has all the mental capacity to create an atom, to make a star, and to allow these things to be sustained really well. Um, God's thinking is flawless. So this is what? Question number two. <laughs> question number one was what? When did, when did creation happen? Question number two was, who created the creation? And as you think about God, and I only went through seven attributes, in here I think there's at least 25 attributes, and to think, okay, what kind of person is capable of creating the universe? Well, when you understand who God is, you don't need to think about some accident and some big bang. God is fully capable of creating the universe. And it's almost like, of course. He has all the power, all the wisdom, all the capacity to do such a thing. And so that is our God. Um, it is God. God is the one who created the universe. Um, <clears throat> how did it happen? Question number three to the text. In the beginning, God what? Created. This is what God did. Question number three and answer number three. How did, how did creation happen? Well, it was created. Um, the sovereign work of creation was established through this very important verb, God created. In the Hebrew, it's the word bara. Um, it's basically the idea of creating everything out of nothing. In Latin, this is ex nihilio, and this is the basic idea that there's no pre-existing material, and then out of nothing, God made everything. Okay, that's what biblical creation is. Um, uh, Answers in Genesis is a very, very good website. It has material for kids. It deals with all your scientific questions that you could ever think of. And they explain biblical creation as this. It's also creation ex nihilo. He says, first there was nothing, and then there was something. No time was involved. Did you, did you catch this? When God created, no time was involved. God isn't bound by time. <laughs> but he created time for us and, and for the sake of creation. And so the creator did not need matter or energy or anything else. He is first. All else is second. In fact, the basic meaning of the word create implies that there was nothing. And then there was something. Some other religions have concept of creation and a creator. 
but all <coughs> but in all other cases the creator is inferior to the biblical creator. Other creators had to use material that already existed and they simply rearranged the material that existed. This is other faiths, other myths, other um, religions that have tried to explain creation. But the Bible, the God of the Bible has explained it crystal clear. He made it, he created it out of nothing. And I want you to know it was effortless for him. He just did it. He made it. We, we, think, we, we think of like the biggest building, the most amazing piece of art, how much effort, how much time it took. For God, it was nothing. He just said, boom. Here's the earth, and here's the universe, and here's the heavens. Question number four. What was created? Well, I've kind of been saying this. Um, the heavens and the earth is what was created. The heavens and the earth were created instantaneously. And we see it explained in the rest of Genesis 1 as it's laid out in six consecutive days. We also know that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, that Jesus was involved in creation. In, chapter, in this verse it says, He, referring to Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I want you to know that God um, wasn't, Jesus wasn't born or created. He existed all time. The word firstborn is not the best tra translation. The best, the better translation would be first ranked or ranked number one, ranked supreme, ranked above all else, ranked as preeminent or supreme. That's who Jesus is. And his position is ranked above all creation. Verse 16, for by him, for by Jesus Christ, all things were created. It is by him, Jesus Christ, all things, not some things, but all things were created in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. You can sit and just munch on this thought for your entire life, and you can't get your mind around it, that all things were made by him and for him. And then he didn't just make all things. He holds all things together. He sustains things. Could you imagine if God made the sun and didn't hold it together? That'd be very bad. We have sun stuff flying all over the universe. Or God made you, and you have your human plasma, skin tissue, eye stuff, organs, feces all floating around because it's not held together. That'd be very bad. And just, just take the atom, the next slide. We take a basic atom, has a nucleus, proton, neutron, electrons. God holds the atom of our just basic material for everything, and he holds it together. You know, who holds it together? What keeps these atoms together, you know, with the electrons and neutrons all working together? The answer is God holds it together. I mean, I have enough time, to, like if I were to juggle three things, that's just a lot for me to hold together. Um, God holds everything together, all the atoms throughout the whole entire universe. And we, we think of how the, our, our science world believes that the world was initiated through a big bang. I, I, just, I, I played with, you know, not just firecrackers, but M80. That's one quarter of a stick of dynamite. 
Yeah, I've blown up mailboxes. I put them under wood and blew up wood. I put them in grass piles and blow up grass piles. When those things go off, it's just a mess, all right? It, it doesn't form perfect circles known as like Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto round things and somehow finds itself in the orbit. No, it just goes all over the place. But yet our science world says more heat, more time, more energy needs to come to form the stuff together. But where's all the heat, energy, and all coming from? There's no explanations. It's just a lot of guesswork. Um, <clears throat> and so you have all that in place. Um, another subject as I was walking through this is how old is the earth? This is a big money question. And I want you to at least see this reason. Some people are going to say it's old and it's been around a long time. But I want you to at least understand this basic logic of understanding the age of the earth. How many of you have grandparents? <laughs> how many of you have great-grandparents? In fact, if we go back, back, we have great-great-great-great-great-great-great-parents, and our original parents were who? Do you guys believe it was Adam and Eve? That's our first grandparents? Well, the Bible gives us enough information that it gives us a genealogy in, Genesis, in Matthew 1 and Luke 3 that literally tracks a genealogy from Jesus all the way back to Adam and Eve. And if we take Jesus' life, he died around 33, 35 AD until now. We're, it's 22, we're about 12 or 13 years of <coughs> 2,000 years after Christ passed away. If we tie this genealogy together, we can get the age of the earth. So here's your big picture. Next slide. This is basically what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, no. Did I not play this amazing slide? Well, good. here's a genealogy of Genesis, I mean, Luke chapter 3. Tracing it back. Go to the next slide. We won't go through it all. But it traces genealogy to Adam. And where was Adam from? Say it with me. It was from God. And so that's, that's a genealogy from Jesus all the way back to Adam and God. And then if you go to the other one, to Matthew, and again, we have the same genealogy. Next slide. It goes all the way to where Jesus was born and who is the Christ. And so the genealogy traces it back. I wish I had this slide for you. I think I messed up. I'll send it on email. But basically, if you could kind of see this, this first section here is the first 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus. Jesus is, and then the next 2,000 years is from Jesus to us. So about 6,000 years is how old uh, the earth is. Some people say, okay, it doesn't have all the genealogies, or we don't know exactly how they live. There, there, there are universities that did the next thing. They took every person, and they broke down, next one, <laughs> here's the whole genealogy, includes um, Matthew and Luke's account, and the ages of every person and every generation, just slide after slide, click, click, every year, it's all detailed, click, it's all there, click, 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 boom, we don't need to go to that one yet. So, my whole point is the Bible literally lays out, we've been around for 6,000 years through genealogy. And if, you know, if somehow, I, mean, I can't even get back to my great-great-grandfather. That's about all far, far back. 
But I just showed you <coughs> the science. That's all the, 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 the mapping out of the family tree. So there's a family tree that lays out. And so if you're like saying, I'm struggling with this, if there's any variation, we're talking maybe hundreds of years, we're definitely not talking billions and trillions of years to map this back. And so there could be a variation of six to maybe 10,000 years back. And so the next question I want to interact with the science world is basically this. If the world is only 6,000 years, how do we explain what we see in the science world where it says there's these stars that are 6 million, 6 million light years away or 10 million light years away? How do we deal? They're basically, what's a light year? Talk to me. What's a light year? How long it takes for light to travel in a year? Okay, so that's pretty far, just one light year <laughs> to go that far. So when it says like 8 billion light years, that means it takes 8 billion years for it to travel that many years, for the light to travel that many years, if light indeed needs to travel that far. So there's this discrepancy. The discrepancy is basically this. How can we say Earth is only 6,000 years old when we have all these stars out there and not enough time for that light to travel from here to there? from A to Z. So let me put this out there for you. According to April 2nd, 2018, that's not even that long ago, NASA.gov found the furthest star out there. It's called the Blue Star. It's nicknamed Icarus. It's supposedly the farthest star out there. They're saying that the light from this star had to travel 9 billion years to reach Earth. So my big question is this, as we interact with the science world, did the light from the star called Icarus, I-C-A-R-U-S, actually have to travel 9 billion years to reach all the way out there to here, from A to Z? Earth is A, Z is the star way out there. When God created the heavens and the earth, the star included, did he just make this physical star that's way out there and then the light had to travel here for the last 9 billion years? Or did God make the heavens and the earth, this physical star, and the light particles between here, earth, and there, the star, A through Z in between? My understanding is when God made the heavens and earth, included the star, physical star, and the light in between. So the light had never needed to travel to get to Earth. God made the light, and that's everything from here to there. So there's no need for it to travel. It's already it's theirs set. God made the light. Um, so that's my understanding as I interact with science. And so my question is, is which way are we going to interpret the science and the world? Does Scripture interpret the science, or does science interpret the Scripture? Um, I'm going at it that the Scripture... We can understand the world that God made through the scriptures. And we don't need to kill science. I think there's things that are good in science if it's legit science. Um, it's verifiable. It's repeatable. There's scientific facts that back it up, not scientific. Like, I, I need to not acknowledge this amazing God that I'm accountable to reduce him to nothing so I can live my own way because I'm going to submit myself to a creator God. So that's um, that in terms of interacting with science. Between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2, a lot of people want to say, hey, 
Um, there's this gap between 1, 1, 1, 2. Dr. Sigler talked about the Hebrew language, how it does flow in logical order between Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. And so there's those who hold to a gap theory that I appreciate them in one sense and not in another. But they, most people that hold to gap theory understand that these are 24-hour literal days as you look at day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. They, 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 they readily believe that because the Hebrew is very clear there. But they're still trying to wrestle with their mind. How, did the, how do we put millions and billions and allow for evolution to take place and for light to travel and all that stuff? And so they have this view called the gap theory between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. So a couple things I want to say about this gap theory. One, it's a theory, and it's trying to accommodate uh, man's agenda and not lift up as a God who is almighty, all-present, all-everywhere, is a few things. <clears throat> they, they want to say creation happened here between Genesis, Gen Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. But I, I just don't understand why they just don't realize creation is, if you read a little further down, they know that creation happened in day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5. Why do they have to say all this evolution happened between Genesis 1 and 2, if you just understand. It just took place a few verses down. So that's one th thing I want to just kind of dismantle this. Two, they believe in this theory called Lucifer's Flood. What's Lucifer's Flood? It's not a biblical concept. I don't even know where it's coming from. But they believe that there was a flood before Noah that wiped out the earth. And later on, Genesis, six days happened and rebuilt the whole earth. I don't know where that's coming from, but this, they, they, that's their belief. And, and, and this is their also belief to accommodate billions of years. And they want to make the biggest argument right here. And the earth was without form. And the, they, they want to put became, so they see it as a, a progress. This is not a good translation of that Hebrew word. Um, but they, they want to make a big deal of a possible translation to fit this gap theory. Again, I want you to be aware of this because... This is what, uh, I'll say, a low view of God and a low view of Scripture will arrive you to. You're still trying to integrate science into it in an improper way that is unbiblical. So there's a, a gap there. But I, I put it out there so you know that it's out there and you're able to defend, um, defend the Scriptures. There is no gap between Genesis 1.1 and 1.2. Um, the Hebrew construction is very clear on that. But let's go with what happened in Genesis 1-2, and then we'll walk into communion. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, what was the condition of the early earth? Moses, God communicated to Moses and wrote the book of Genesis. In verse 2, the earth was without, was without form and void, meaning this is the early stages before God immediately and instantaneously fashioned the whole entire universe. Um, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Um, theologians refer to this as pri <coughs> primordial waters. Um, this is dark stage of unformed creation, where <laughs> this is God's raw material before he created it and fashioned the heavens and the earth. And then he says in the last part of verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, was in play in setting up creation. <clears throat> and so this leaves us with a few responses I want you to munch on. Um, one is, 
The creator God, our Lord and sovereign one, is the one who created all things. And he alone is worthy to be worshipped. He has no rivals, no equals. He's second to none. This God will soon give the law throughout the book of Genesis to Leviticus to Numbers. And if God is the creator of all things and he's a lawgiver, um, he best knows how his creation is to operate, how God has created us to live out a, a rhythm of work hard for six days and rest well on the seventh. He's created an order to set up life in such a way that we'll be blessed. Also, <clears throat> since God is a God of redemption, a God who redeems, a God who takes this premortal, basic material and made the entire universe, God, in the same way, takes sinners who are messed up um, because of sin, because of darkness, because of rebellion. And God does his created work in what? Human beings. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul says this, Therefore, if one is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. God does a creative work in human beings. This is huge. The same creative work he does to make the universe is the same kind of creative work he does in human beings to make us new creations.